on this episode of Ask LA. We should and can put start to put roads on a diet and, and allow for more fluidity in both pedestrian and, and bicycle. The Ask LA podcast is brought to you by the American Society of Landscape Architects. Produced by the ASLA Emerging Professionals Committee, each episode is geared to provide information and insight into the profession of landscape architecture for students and emerging professionals. On this episode of Ask LA, we have an engaging conversation with Pablo Mazzari, a principal at EDSA in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Pablo has a passion for the role that landscape architects can play in community health, both physical and mental, especially in this time of global pandemic. I'm your host, Daniel Martin. Let's dive in. Happy to have a phenomenal guest with me today. We have uh, Pablo Mazzari, a associate principal at EDSA, which uh, I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, are familiar with EDSA, phenomenal firm that does uh, full service planning, landscape architecture, urban design. Uh, they have locations all over the country and possibly the world, I think. We can talk about that a little more. I know they're doing work all over the world. Um, Pablo is out of their Fort Lauderdale office, and he's doing some great work in his portfolio, celebrating the essence of space and carefully crafted environments that embrace beauty, allow form to follow function, and aesthetically reconnect with nature. Um, a lot of sense of connection with identity between site, man-made elements, ecological processes, and he provides dramatic juxtapositions by integrating habitats for people with the natural landscape. But really his end goal is to create outdoor spaces that promote health and well-being for people of all ages. And uh, in this day and age with pandemics going on and, and lots of things like that, which we'll talk about, that health in the landscape is very important. So looking forward to discussing that. Pablo, uh, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Daniel, for having us and considering EDSA and, and invite and for the invite for this. Uh, look forward to the conversation and uh, if there's something that we uh, we can we can say or, or uh, a word of advice for young professionals or even people who might be in the in the midst of their career or starting their career or even in school, uh, you know, happy to had to be a, a, a of contribution. Um, I did a, a little time at uh, working at a university, and I, I remember, I remember the uh, the anxiety of, of coming out of school and, and, and joining the uh, the workforce and what that that feels like. So if we can if we can soften that, <laughs> and help. yeah, absolutely. Especially uh, again in this day and age with with economic issues and stuff, you know, a lot of anxiety there. So. We're, we're going to get into some of your advice for, for students and how they can handle that. So looking oh, forward good. to that. Um, one thing, I'm going to put you on the spot right off the bat. Uh, if you could summarize landscape architecture in one word, <laughs> not that that's easy. You got a word off the top of your head? That... Um, it's a bridge. Uh, landscape architecture to me, uh, well, and it, it, it's, I, I feel like I'll have to explain a little bit of my background. I didn't start really into landscape architecture. I started in the architectural field and then saw a way to transition into this and, and, mm -hmm. and felt, although I was passionate about architecture, I really felt that this was where I could make a bigger contribution on, on people's lives. And, and I feel landscape architecture is that bridge between um, the, it's a, it's a several bridges. It could be the bridge between the built environment and the natural environment. It can also be a bridge between arts and 
technology, you know, or construction. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it has, it's, uh, it's kind of a little bit country and a little bit rock and roll, you know, <laughs> what I feel so cool about this prof, this profession. I think it's, uh, it's unique. Yeah. That is a fantastic word. I don't think I've heard that word used to describe it, but you're right. You know, connecting all of these different environments, even connecting, you know, um, people, different areas and, and, yeah. and different communities. Fantastic. So you mentioned architecture. That's where you started off. So you went to school to study architecture. And at what point did the landscape architecture come onto your radar? How did that come about? Yeah, well, it's a it's an interesting story. I actually started med school, and uh, and then yeah, and then uh, you know uh, I was going to classes and had my kind of my my syllabus kind of laid out for me for the first year, and uh, and I had a lot of friends from high school that were into either architecture or industrial design. And they were spending like, you know, all the hours in the night working on models and, and cool <laughs> stuff and smoking cigarettes and listening to music and rock. And, and I'm coming back from my boring class and I'm thinking, what am I doing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously I didn't have a passion for that, but I started to kind of get really interested in architecture. So that's, mm-hmm. I got into architecture. Um, and I think I, I was kind of doing pretty good and pretty well, and I really enjoyed it. And then almost at the end, and this was back in, in Argentina where uh, I spent most of my life uh, as, a, as a young person. But mm-hmm. when I was towards the end of uh, what it used to be a six-year program, um, so it's the equivalent of kind of a, a bachelor's and a master's all bundled up together, which some schools do here too as well. Yeah. Um, I've, uh, I, I, there was this class, it was a seminar on landscape architecture um, and they had a guest professor from Ohio State. And I've, I thought, yeah, this is a good opportunity to kind of meet new people and, and open my eyes and broaden my, my, my horizons a bit. And um, so I did the class and it was kind of a, a, a 10 day class. and. By the the end of the first week, I kind of knew that this was this was it, right? That this was really what was uh, what was making my heart tick, and uh, and it helped probably that I met the right person. Um, so he got me really excited, and 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 at the end of the class, I said, "Hey, listen, I, I think I think I want to I want to do this." Mm-hmm. And his advice was, "Well, if you want to do this, I think." You know, if you know a little bit of a history of the profession, you know, United States is probably the birthplace of our profession. This is probably where you want to be. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so I, you know, not too long afterwards, I was in, on a plane to to Columbus, Ohio, and uh, and that person also became one of the most influential people in my life and my career. So. Um, you never know how, you know, the, the opportunities <laughs> that life throws at you, you just got to be alert. Right. Absolutely. So in that 10 day seminar, what was it about landscape architecture that really jumped out at you and made your heart sing that was different than architecture? Yeah, well, it was um, it was this, this kind of sleepy little town near the main hub in the region and it had a little bit of cultural heritage. There were some ruins from the from the Spanish kind of colonial times. 
there was this creek that kind of cut through the site and it, you know, it, was, it lent itself perfectly to be a, a beautiful, you know, linear park, public realm kind of deal with some ruins. Uh, so it, it could be both a green space and an educational um, uh, facility at, at the same time. And I, I think at the time, especially in, in that environment, in, in that context, people didn't look at public space as, as something that can be either uh, an attraction and an educational opportunity. This is a while ago, right? Uh, or even a, a stream of revenue uh, for, for a small town like that, right? That was right. kind of having, like any small town, having a hard time kind of retaining young people, um, creating, you know, economic opportunities. So well. having having Larry uh, being there and, and teaching that class and somebody who had later found out that had you know, roots at EDSA, so you can see that life sometimes goes in circles, <laughs> right? It's amazing. Yeah. Um, so if he had been exposed to how you how you plan a resort, how you transfer that knowledge into a public round project, how do you make a project be sustainable, not only from the environmental side, but also how you can uh, create activities that can generate some revenue so the park can have a little bit of funding, you know, so it perpetuates over time and not doesn't become one of those spaces that are, that are totally destroyed after a few years of being built. So, which could be the case in, in, in that context, in that culture. Um, right. So I just, I, I felt like everything worked, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were good for the environment. We were kind of, you know, keeping these ruins alive and, and, and now we would allow people to visit them. And it was just a, a project, right? So it's not something that probably never got built, but I just, uh, and then you you think of how how people will use this place, how many people could visit the place, and then you compare that to a building, and I, said, I, I started to think, well, th- I think this will impact more people than if you just stay within the, the, the boundaries and the envelope of a building. Um, maybe not purely true, but at least that, that was true to me at that point, and that's what, uh, right. what le- yeah, led me to, to be on this. Right. So you show up in Ohio, and so you've got this mentor. How did uh, the mentor-mentee relationship affect your views of landscape architecture even, you know, then, and and is that still affecting you now, those early days? It it was, um, I think it was great having him as my mentor. Um, I ended up kind of sharing workspaces with him as well because we got hired by the same company uh, (laughs) locally. So. When I tell you that this guy, this person had a, a strong influence in my life, I really mean it. Um, and, and when you're in grad school, there's a, there's a certain level of conversations that happen that um, that I think that's what may, makes grad school more appealing and and worthwhile, right? Um, he used to teach these uh, they would call it just design seminars. So you would take this. Uh, a series of, of open urban spaces and, and they're, they're being very successful in analyze that, you know, it wasn't so much about design, but kind of deconstructing the space and, and figuring out what was so special about this place that, that made it successful, right? Whether it's um, the location or what was des- added on with the design or, or the type of users that kind of used it. And uh, it, I think that was uh, having him kind of on a, on a more relaxed kind of uh, setting, right? On these kind of four or five people, 10 people maximum uh, seminars. 
um, you, you, get a, you get to learn a lot from people like him. Um, and then I had the privilege of working with him. Um, and uh, I've, we've been connected since. He had a lot to do with me getting hired here at EDSA. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the world is a, is a small place sometimes. Um, right. Yeah. So you go through life trying to make friends, that's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. It's all about connections. Yeah. It all comes back around. Um, so having uh, such a strong mentor early on in your career, who obviously has been important throughout your career, how does that affect you? Do you look to give back and to be like that mentor to, to younger people now? Yeah, that is, uh, that is a key question. I've, um, I, you know, I, so I finished my studies and I had to go back uh, to Argentina because of the type of scholarship that I was, I was bestowed require you to go back and, uh, and spread the, the gospel of, of the American way for a couple of yeah. years in your home country. Um, mm -hmm. um, so I meet my, my, the perfect fit for me was going back to school, right? And so, and teach. And uh, so his, my relationship with him was applied immediately uh, in, in going in, in, into the academic world. Uh, but mm -hmm. even after that, I think once I got back to the States and got into the pure private practice, um, I, I, I think one of the things that attracted me the most about EDSA is the is the the, the setting here where there's well we get a lot of stuff done but there's a lot of mentoring and education that happens within the, the walls of EDSA and you know if you, Ed, Ed Stone used to be called the dean of landscape architecture for a reason I, I think he he was a big advocate of people getting uh, mentored in within the, the work environment. Um, he, he was a big advocate of people getting licensed um, and the importance of being licensed. So uh, I think he set the tone and we've been trying to kind of continue his legacy. Um, I do enjoy the mentoring part. Uh, and and I, I tend to have sometimes too much of a professorial. Uh, <laughs> and, um, but I, I like it a lot. And I think one of the things that are most rewarding um, in, in this profession and at least in this in this firm is when you see people who have worked with you and have learned from you uh, when you see them getting promoted it's one of the most satisfying things right so EDSA mentioned uh, internships and stuff famous for its amazing internship program uh, a lot of our listeners are students uh, any hints or tips for them to <laughs> to make sure their portfolio and resume looks good for that internship program? Um, yeah, I, I would say start saving everything you do, right? And, and whether you think is relevant or not, you never know. Um, anything that you're passionate about, people, and it's just not just EDSA. I think that any, any practitioner would like to see who you really are, um, what, your, what, what, what makes your heart tick. Um, uh, and then and, and keep it keep it updated and uh, you know the more stuff you get in it the better um we we travel um when things are normal right we travel a lot uh, we visit a lot of universities we um we, and when we do that we try to set up a time to both interview people that might be interested but also we do a little peer review of their portfolios and, and kind of give them a little little hints of, you know, tweak this or that, or try to get right. more of this type of work. Um, it's going back to giving back, right? I've, I've got right. a lot of help to get to where I am, and I, I intend to do the same with 
where we need to. Um, but we, yep. it, it's a bunch of us, not just me. It's a bunch of us who do, who do that, and we visit schools uh, on a on a quarterly basis, I would say. But save everything you have, um, and I I would say as a student and also as an emerging professional. Um, get really, um, I would say, versed in the in the three dimension realm, right? Uh, in the in the in the tools that allowed you to express yourself three dimensionally. What used to be a pen then became a tablet, uh, and 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 now it's really three dimensional modules or environments that allow us to quickly interact with allied professions. In, uh, in the world out there, and when I mean that, I mean, you know, client consultants, they're, they're ready to see that kind of stuff very early on, more so now than, than before. So the, I guess the, the more you can, you can train yourself in those uh, and be comfortable in those environments, the, 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 the better you're going to be, or the, the better your, your odds. Is hand drawing still an important part of the process at EDESA? in your design process? I think it is in the way that it, it, it helps you to convey some, some information on my, or ideas very quickly. Um, yeah. We do a lot of workshops and shreds because we get to do work in some other parts of the world where you, if you're going to make the, the investment of time and money to get to a certain part of the world, uh, then you have to be ready to to jump on board really quick and, and demonstrate your your abilities and and and, and try to kind of amalgamate everybody's ideas that are in the room and paper really quickly. Uh, where that is done on on pen and, pa and paper or on a tablet um, in, in a in a digital pen, it, it, to me is irrelevant. But the idea that you can you can conceptualize something really quickly, and there's some people who do that in in three dimensions as well, uh, very right. very fast so it's still i think the the the, the idea of, of being able to show your 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 idea quickly in paper or on a, on a on a two on a two-dimensional surface is important now i'm not sure if, if it's actually a, a lead pen that needs to <laughs> needs to do it in this podcast we talked to landscape architects from all different backgrounds about how asla helped advance their careers Ready to find out how ASLA can help advance yours? Just head over to asla.org join. At every stage of your career, the American Society of Landscape Architects is the first place for you to connect, advocate, and learn. Connect with peers, mentors, and industry leaders with exclusive networking opportunities through local chapters and professional practice networks. Gain nationwide exposure with FirmFinder, JobLink, and the ASLA member directory. Learn with ASLA's extensive online learning library and access to member e-newsletters, blogs, and the award-winning Landscape Architecture magazine. Advocate for your profession by taking part in ASLA's I Advocate campaigns on issues ranging from licensure to climate change to transportation. To find out how to join, visit asla.org join. Again, that's asla.org join. Now, EDSA is divided into studios, right? So you kind of work as a bunch of smaller firms that are really one big firm. Is is the method of creation, the process different in the different studios? Does everybody operate differently? Um, I would say it's pretty consistent throughout. Um, and, and the reasons why we've, uh, we started 
you know, this was now we're on a, on a third generation of, of leadership here. But the reason why we did that is as the company started to grow, it was a way to kind of keep the what I was mentioning before, the mentoring and the close relationship to your to your mentoring person. The, and it, the reason why it's worked out um, well is because it, it allows that mentoring and, and, and teaching and education to continue in a smaller in a smaller group environment or format. Um, otherwise, I think you would lose a little bit of that if you try to do it uh, and broadcast that knowledge to a larger audience. Um, so I think that has helped us, but I, the, the, I think the process is very consistent. And there's a, a, a lot of people who have actually crossed from studios to studios and, and, and you know, okay. So, and it's very, very organic. So it, it doesn't right. seem to have been a, an issue in the past. All right, great. We talked a little bit, uh, you know, and when you took that first seminar in Discover Landscape Architecture, some of the things that, that you were passionate about and got you excited about it. Um, what are you passionate about in landscape architecture today? I've uh, kind of taken on, uh, on, on a, a few years back, I started to be really excited and, and, and curious about wellness in general. Uh, I think it had something to do with what was going on through my life at the time, you know, personally, and um, getting, getting to, to design places where it can help people to, to have a, a, a different view of, of life um, uh, in a more holistic way. Um, and that's when I really started to get into wellness, um, and, and wellness in a in a in a different way that is maybe being conceived till today. I think when you talk sometimes in certain environments about wellness, uh, people think it's you know I have an issue, I go to a such such facility, and they'll help me fix the issue. I think a wellness of something that you do proactively in life to prevent those issues from happening in the first place. You know, so. You believe in looking at the landscape as preventative medicine almost to before someone gets sick it's going to keep them well and, and prevent sickness um how do you think that landscape architects play a role in that um in community health in general physical and mental perhaps what can we do to to make things better good question um i think there's opportunities in the in the landscape architectural realm um more than a detailed way but I, I do believe that the biggest impact will be on the planning side. Um, I think we have uh, an ability to to continue those who have been doing it and and maybe start doing it. Those who haven't, uh, the planning communities are there. You know, that can serve the population in, in in ways that we haven't before. I think we need to start looking at wellness in 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 a in a, in a more complete form. I think the the post-war era uh, in this country, um, maybe uh, the, it, it, it by necessity, we needed to put a lot of people back to work really quick. Um, we developed a lot of the suburbia that now now has sprawled even even farther. Right. And then when doing that, we, we didn't necessarily have the person in mind. We had, um, you know, moving traffic and, and the vehicle in mind. I think today we have learned a few things about that um, and, and what not to do. And 
I think you know through planning you you can you can design communities that are healthier, and I don't mean just because they have more green. I mean that they're healthier in 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 holistic ways, right? They're healthier because they can have a good balance with nature. They can have a good balance in in the activities that they promote, and also the interaction of their their inhabitants, right? I think one of the um, sins, one of the mistakes that we've made is that we've created communities where people don't necessarily uh, get to know each other, right? Right. Uh, we created our communities where the garage is smacked in front of the driveway on a straight line and people come from the grocery store and they just, they drive a car inside the garage and that was it. The, any potential interaction with anybody around them had disappeared. Um, right. So I, I think the planning aspect, it's where we can make a big, big impact. Um, and well, I, that's what I'm passionate about, and I'm I'm hoping I can get to do more, more of that more often, and and maybe maybe what we're going through will will uh, teach us a few things, and then and, and what not to do, and what people are really it'll start to show maybe how people are interested in this beyond what we what we uh, our preconceived ideas, right? Maybe it's more right. than what we think. So with the, the pandemic and COVID-19 going on, uh, you know, there's been a lot of articles and reports about increased use of public space. You know, people want to get out there. Um, how do you think that'll impact the future once the pandemic is done? Will it, will it uh, be sustainable or do you think we'll go back to our old ways? <laughs> That's a, a million dollar question. <laughs> I, I um, you know, I really hope that this, this, uh, we, we get out of this, this funk really quick. Um, yeah. um, I, I do, you know, if, if you look beyond uh, just the regular stream of news that sometimes tend to center so much on the, on the bad things, but there's mm -hmm. a, there's an enormous amount of people working on, on, on vaccine trials that are now on, on, the, on the later stages. So it means that we're in a good track and in, in a phenomenally um, fast uh, way of doing it that has never, something that has never happened before. So it seems like we're gonna be um, out of this, you know, fairly quickly, uh, but I, in it, I, I, I'm, we all want that, right? But I do hope right. that in this process that we've learned some that this is not in vain, right? That we learned that perhaps our, we were living uh, a little bit of uh, unhealthy lives um, and maybe our, our, our compass were set uh, in the wrong direction. Uh, I hope, uh, it's a hope, I, I, but I'm, I'm not sure I'm, I'm, I'm doing a service in answering your question. I, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I hope, right. I hope that people, realize that there's there's different goals in life beyond wealth and or or you know professional accolades i think living a, a happy and fulfilled life could be just as rewarding as as a, as a monetary wealth and um, or, or at least try to find a balance i mean I'm, I, it's okay it's for to some people that is success i i think in general people um, live and not just in the states i think in the it's a it's a trend in the world live very lonely life um it's one of the issues yeah. most recurrent in in european cities is uh how lonely people are especially um, elderly people so i hope that at least it teaches us that um maybe it's time to kind of for for a reset of our compass right and in, in, mm -hmm. in what we seek in life 
And if that's the case, then I think there'll be a, a, a bigger appetite for open space. Um, I hope it also teaches us beyond the, 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 the seas issues, we need to learn what is it, how, why does why it, is it that it affected some people more than others? You know, what, what, right. what and it, because we're finding now that it doesn't affect people equally, right? Right. And so I hope we sort of, we're now in kind of get out of the, the big bang mode. Uh, you know, it's somebody described it the other day in a phone call. We were in a camper and we hit a wall and all the stuff fell off the shelf. You know? <laughs> so we're in the mode of putting stuff back in the shelf and making sure that the camper still has four wheels and running engine. But right. past that moment, let's get some, let's get really clever in, in finding out why it affected people in certain cities. Um, what right. was it that, you know, it was lacking or, or, uh, or what was it in people's health that wasn't there that, that, that made them more vulnerable? So I, I, those are things that I hope we learn. And if that require, if that means that we will require uh, from, from our governments and from our cities to have more open space, um, then uh, it would be fantastic. I, I think people will realize that perhaps in the last few um, few decades, we've, uh, we've become really intensely uh, um, worried about programming um, open space, especially in the suburbs where it has to be perfectly programmed for youth activities and sports. And, and we yeah. kind of, I, I feel, I'm not sure you feel the same way, but I feel that we've gotten away from what parks used to be, you know, in the Victorian era or past, or during the, the, the industrial revolution where our cities became a little bit of unhealthy places to, to live, mm -hmm. that we, we were looking at uh, open space as kind of a respite, right? As a, as a, as a right. bringing nature back into the cities and lots of canopy and just passive recreation where people can appropriate and do whatever they need to do without mm -hmm. necessarily being told how to use it. Perhaps there's a movement that 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 moves in that direction, or or, or steers the design and, and the and the policy making in that direction. I hope so. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Uh, some of the other metrics, you know, you've seen uh, bike sales are up over five hundred percent. You know, cities are closing streets down to make more public space or you know outdoor eating space. Um, those would be great trends to continue you know complete streets things like that uh, how do you think that stuff will could affect design in the future i i, I think it, it yes you're you're right and by the way i'm an avid biker too so i had a hard time getting somebody to sell me parts or fix my bike during the <laughs> pandemic and it seemed like it was the only thing that kept me uh, mentally sane having the ability to go out uh, and, and enjoy the weather here in south florida mm -hmm. during during at least the first two months of it, it was really beautiful. Um, yeah, I think it needs to be paired um, with another important uh, aspect of our lives, which is mobility in general. Um, we we should and can put start to put roads on a diet and, and allow for more fluidity in both pedestrian and, and bicycle um, and movement. But that has to be paired with how do we move people in general more efficiently to go to where they need to go, right? Um, right. 
right now it's hard to plan for that because everybody is in in this kind of knee jerk reaction mode where we can't even talk about mass transit because we know those are in general kind of close uh, small um, vehicles and, and 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 you know not probably the the best place where you want to be right now but you know let's let's put our, our minds past this point that we're at you know right uh, past pandemic um i think we need to uh resume the conversations the the very frank conversations about how we move people around um i was before this i was also very um very curious and, and involved in, in transit oriented development because i think um you know, all the, the industrialized countries, with the exception of maybe a, a couple, they're going to have a hard time making gigantic investments in infrastructure unless we do it as a way to get out of a, of a, of a real difficult time like, like now. But right. it didn't seem before the pandemic that the governments um, of the world, including ours, could settle in, in, a, in, a, in a massive infrastructure investment. So it seemed like because of that, infrastructure would, or development would follow the existing infrastructure pattern or network. And um, and if that's the case, we really need to look at how do we move people more efficiently. And as we do that, you know, it's it takes a little bit of a learning curve and sometimes a little bit of pain, right? But as we do that, yeah. then we can kind of, I think it's, it's got to happen concurrently. Then we can kind of put streets on diets and then allow for, for more pedestrian and, and, and bike connectivity, especially, um, and I, maybe I'm, I'm being very selfish because I'm thinking of South Florida here, we're landlocked, right? So it's not like we have uh, tons of opportunities to create open space and open space network. Uh, we're dealing with an existing grid here and we're bound by the Everglades, the ocean, Palm Beach, and, and, and Miami-Dade. So we're kind of locked here. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Ask LA. Don't miss part two of this interview on our next episode, where we will talk to Pablo about his role at EDSA and how he continues to improve himself. Be sure to subscribe to the Ask LA podcast on iTunes, Google, or your podcast service of choice to catch every episode. For more information about the great work of the American Society of Landscape Architects, check out ASLA.org.